The Matt Hasselbeck Show. Presented by Infinity of Bellevue and Linwood. Seahawks legend Matt Hasselbeck takes you inside the Seahawks and the NFL for a full hour. Exclusively on the Mike Sox Show. Yeah, this is one of those weeks. Just really glad to have a full hour to explore things with Matt Hasselbeck. Matt, good morning. How are we doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm great, man. It's been a it's been kind of a strange week. I mean, all the build up to that Seahawks Packers game, and I don't think anybody saw that it would be three nothing at the half, uh, <laughs> three three nothing in the fourth quarter. Yeah, how about that? I mean, it just it, it didn't really look the way we expected to. Both quarterbacks didn't really look like themselves. The offenses didn't do a ton. Um, but obviously, here a lot more focused on Russ. What what did you what did you see from him? What do you think happened in Green Bay for the Seahawks? Mm, I was hoping we were going to get to talk like more NFL news. And yeah, we have to talk about this. <laughs> Start somewhere else first. No, listen. It was just uh, you know, listen. It, uh, first off, I got to give the defenses credit because it was a good defensive game. Mm-hmm. It was a good special teams game. And sometimes you see a game that's low scoring, you say, "Oh, this is a trash game." But like you know, you gotta you gotta tip your hat to the people who play well on the other side of the ball. So that was part of it. But no, I, I think. Ultimately, you need your best players to play their best football, and that, that's just not what we got out of Russell Wilson, uh, in you know that night. You think he was hurt? I mean, I, I watched it, and I thought his finger, you know, I thought he was inaccurate, which is not the Russell Wilson that I've watched for you know over a decade here. Well, what did you see? Yeah, it didn't. I don't think I would chalk it up necessarily to him looking like he couldn't throw because he obviously could throw. He looked good at times. He looked, if anything, he looked rusty to me, um, like someone who hadn't played in a while. And then I would just maybe also say, like, I, I thought he, uh, you know, some of the decisions that he made were, um, you know, I, I would assume that he's kicking himself right now. Like, yeah. What am What am I doing? I'm throwing jump balls. So there's There's a saying in quarterback rooms. It's KYP. Know your personnel, okay? KYP, KYP, KYP. It's a thing like usually throwing to fullbacks. It's also a thing about throwing jump balls. So, like, if I'm going to throw a jump ball, I'm not throwing a jump ball to D. Eskridge. I'm not throwing a ton of jump balls to Tyler Lockett. I'm throwing jump balls to uh, DK Metcalf. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 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 hitting those other guys. You know, running away from people or uh, with really precision, accurate throws. And so, like, that's what you've seen over Russell Wilson's career. You know, a hundred games worth of like just really incredible KYP moments. Mm-hmm. And you know, in that game, it just seemed like eh, like I'm, I'm confused by this decision. I'm confused by that decision. Decision. And then, you know, just some of the misses that you're just so unaccustomed to seeing out of him. Guys open on a comeback, guys open on a hitch, and the ball's just sailing. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I just put that on the finger because he had some outstanding throws in the game. Um, but there was just something different yeah. about that. And so I don't know if that's rust or what that is. Well, I wonder if maybe it's a little bold. I mean, I, we certainly saw some of the, some of the decision making. I thought there was also maybe some tentativeness. I don't know whether you saw them, maybe or indecisiveness. I don't know necessarily what you would call it, but just kind of just not looking like he knew exactly where he wanted to go with the football. You know, I think for me, like just having been in the situation where I've come back from an injury. Yeah. And like I remember a game we played against Green Bay. The game was actually in Seattle. I tore my MCL. I was out for a month. Uh, got a PRP injection. It was like, can you get back for this month? Can you bet get back in four weeks? And like, I really didn't know if four weeks was really the right time. But I was like, you know, I just got to be out there. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get in early. I'm gonna do it. And the for the first half. I was pretty atrocious. Like, I was just going through the motions. I was doing what I was supposed to do. But I didn't have, like, a fire and a passion and an 
energy that I would have maybe had when I was healthy. And, you know, I come in at halftime and ironically the head athletic trainer at the time was this guy, Sam Ramsden. He's great. He's still there uh, in a different role, but he basically was like, gave me like a, a slap upside the face. He was like, yo, Hey, you're fine. Cut it loose. Go win us this game. Like, let's go. And the second half of that game, I don't know what the statistics were, but I was a completely different player. And it was almost just like you just had to. Uh, I, I, I keep using this word rust because I don't. I don't know that I have a better word for it. But it's just kind of like the cobwebs have to get out, and I just got to go be me. And you know, like I don't know. Like I'm just thinking about myself in that sure. in that Green Bay game in the snow, and it was. Uh, it was like two different people. I would expect we're going to see the normal Russell Wilson the rest of the way. That was, uh, it was just like, it was, it was just okay. You know what I mean? It was, it was okay with some critical errors and the standard for him is just so high that, uh, I don't think he lived up to his own standard performance wise. Yeah, it'll be really interesting. I, I agree with everything. I mean, obviously I've never been in the situation where Sam Ramson has had to tell me to like get it in gear, but, but, but noticing some of the same things, by the way, we're not going to get like a whole controversy here. Like we did with Jimmy Lake hitting the kid in the face, right? We're not going to have to like go fire Sam Ramson for hitting Matt Hasselbeck. Are we going to be okay? Were you okay I, with it? You... I don't. I don't know that he like literally punched okay, me. Okay, good. It was like more of like a figurative. Okay, like, good. Hey, snap out of it. You, you got to make I mean? sure. Like, yeah. <laughs> we don't want to. No. We don't want to bury anybody's reputation. Things are a little. I, uh... But trust me, there's been far worse things than, <laughs> than that, that. What happened there? But... <laughs> there's a, this is a very uh, tense situation in Seattle these days. But uh, but honestly, like Salk, like here's the crazy thing about this. Like this is like we're all gonna nitpick on every little thing, and I and if I like when I graded the the game, I was like, well, that's a critical error. That's a critical error. This this is a, you know, this is an unfortunate thing. Can't do that. That's a dumb penalty. Like this, and it's three nothing in the fourth quarter. Like it's literally three nothing in the fourth quarter. It, it's it's ten nothing. There's a point there where like there should be a uh, a third down, and we got a D lineman who decides to pick up a shoe and throw a shoe. And now you give them a first down mm-hmm. instead of punting. Now they're in field goal range, and now they go down and score a touchdown. And like, it's just like not very smart football when you put it together. And so, it, it, like, sometimes you can overcome like really stupid plays or you know mistakes because you're really good somewhere else. Like the Seahawks just weren't really good. They weren't really good. They had got outplayed in the running game. They got outplayed in the passing game. The turnover thing was a problem. So like. You just putting it all together. What ends up happening is you're like, ah, oh, we could have won this game, could have won this game. We had our chances, but like, yeah. But to get the win, actually, you got to really improve in all these areas, or at least have an incredible jump in improvement in one of the areas. Yeah, it's a really good point. I'm talking to Matt Hasselbeck here as we do every Wednesday from nine to ten, and I promised that uh, I would give out our uh, code here. Should we do it? Let's just do it right off the bat and give people a chance to to win tickets, go see Arizona on Sunday. Uh, the code word right now, if you go to seven ten sports dot com slash win, the code word is division. Since this is a division rivalry game, division. Uh, D-I-V-I-S-I-O-N, Division. Go there by the end of the show, so by 10 o'clock, uh, and you can be entered to win a pair of tickets to go see the Seahawks and Cardinals on Sunday. Remember, code word expires at 10 o'clock. Details and rules uh, all at 710sports.com slash win. Uh, it's interesting in a close game like that, Pete, when I talked to him on Monday, Matt was was really concerned with the officiating and pointing to three or four different moments in the game where he thought the officials were, were very much the difference. Did you see that? Did you sense that as you were watching it? 
Well, you know my rule with officials. I right? know. Well, you I'm kind of you, so, you've inspired like my, us here. I, I've got a big like let's look in the mirror first kind of uh, mindset. You know, let's not throw shoes mindset. You know, like that. That's my. Uh, that's where I start. Uh, I, I didn't hear his comments about it. I sort of read some of them, but you know, I thought the fumble was egregious. Like if we're keeping it real, how that stays Packers ball on the fumbled snap, if you know the play that I'm talking about. Oh yeah, but it was simul- uh, I mean, like of all people, I think no, Seahawks can't te- really that's... complain about simultaneous possession against Green Bay. Like... <laughs> that was that was not the same thing. Like that 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 to me is a game changing play. Um, that, listen, here's how it works in the NFL. The coaches put together a tape of they kind of tag the plays at the end of the game, say, this was a bad call, this was a bad call, this was a bad call, and they send it into the head of officials at the NFL. And they, hey, we need a ruling on this. And sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll shoot you back a report and they'll say, um, hey, no, this was the right call, here's why. You may agree or disagree. But most of the time, the head of officials will send the head coach a report that says, hey, we screwed up on this one. This should have been your ball. This was a terrible call. That's sure. our bad. This should have been your ball. And usually you keep those things in-house, and it's just like the worst feeling. I can remember, you know, many times Mike Holmgren coming down and being like, hey, I just heard back from, uh, you know, whoever, Dean Blandino, Mike Pereira. I just heard back from him. That should have been our ball. This should have been roughing the passer. This was a terrible call. This right. was offsides. They had 12 guys on the field. Like, but what's that do? Does that supposed to like make you feel better? No, it makes you feel worse. Does in it? Sense. So you'd rather, you'd, um, would you almost rather not hear it and just be able to be mad about it or forget about it? No, I, the, the lesson for me and like, obviously Pete has way more responsibility than just say the quarterback, right? So like when I was the quarterback, the lesson for me is let's control what I can control because the stuff that I can't control, me worrying about it or being mad about it or being frustrated by it, like that doesn't help me. I have no control over that. So let's look in the mirror. Let's look at the critical errors that I, maybe I had, the missed throws that I had, the missed opportunity, and like see how that plays into the game. I mean, there's a there's a third like these little things. Like there's a there's a series in the third quarter where like Russell misses. I think he misses like a. Um, uh, he misses a pass. It's like it's like it's a play that he always would hit. It's a little right? running so throw where he missed uh, Tyler Lockett. It was, it was like well, no, it was a comeback. It was a comeback on the right side to Lockett. Okay, and it's like it's a first and ten. You know, you're you're on your side. Of the, you're like on the minus thirty five. It should be a completion all day. Two of the best players in the world at what they do. Best quarterback, one of the best receivers. It should be a completion on on the other side of the 50-yard line. Instead, it's incomplete, second and 10, whatever. No one talks about it. Well, it's second and 10 on the minus 35 now. Second and 10s are running down. They know you're going to run it. You do. You get one yard. Now it's third and nine, and you just like throw a, a, just like a, a hope and a prayer to Swain deep down the field, and now you're punting. It's like... All of that's kicked off because two of the best players in the world didn't complete an open comeback. Mm-hmm. Like that's where I think like the energy and the frustration and the, like the focus needs to be not on like what the head of officials writes to you on Wednesday about uh, you know who had the you know about a, a particular call or a review, a review. You know maybe you let Pete handle that stuff, but I don't know. That that's just sort of been my my experience. It, it doesn't necessarily make me feel much better when they come back. I mean, I'm glad they do it because you know that there's a system of accountability. Sure, but but other people that, are learning. Like, they're getting better, et cetera. Yeah, no, and I, by Wednesday, you're 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 moving on to the next opponent. I, I'm so you honestly really like helped me and, and and Justin and I, Moore and I, we've all talked about this idea of just not blaming the refs ever. I've always tried to be on that front. I, I think it's hard to stay there. There are moments and there are games. 
the one I always point to is that Rams uh, Saints game a couple years ago, where mm-hmm. where the the miss pi call on the sideline it was so ridiculous and so like completely opposite of the way the NFL games are always officiated in that moment that it's sort of hard to ignore. But yeah, but listen, I'll stop you right there. They had like that one right there. After that, I know. It, no, but if I'm Sean Payton, why are you even throwing the ball in that situation? You gave the opportunity to the official to get involved in a game that you had won. It's like, you know, like I just think like looking in the mirror first is the Now listen, like you and I on here talk radio whatever, like did Daryl Taylor have that fumble? Is that Seahawks ball? Heck yes. Like it's not even a question in my right. mind that 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 Seahawks ball and they give it back to the Packers. But like if you're in that locker room, if you're coaching that team, uh, there there needs to be a time and a place where you just basically hit the clear button and you move on and you're on. So, to so how many Arizona. coaches are able to do that? I mean, when you when I think about all the coaches, like. You know, Holmgren is still blaming the refs for for 2005, and Pete is well, he's, he's kind of like it. us. He's in a, he's right. in a us mode right well, now. Well, so how many know? coaches truly take your point of view and say we are not going to blame officials? Not even going to talk about it. We're just going to control what we can control. You know, I just think there's something about being the leader where you have to basically get your team refocused and moving on. You know, like you see Bill Belichick do it all the time. Like I, I think Pete Carroll is a guy who does it well, um, but but. But it's like it's okay for then you to go back into your office. You call the league office, mm-hmm. and you maybe you're cussing them out. Like, hey, this is unacceptable. Like, seriously, this is on it. We're over here fighting for our lives, trying to get into the playoffs, and we need all the help we can get. And that's what you do. And you reviewed it, and you took two and a half minutes to do it, and still you screwed it up. You know, like you can push back on them much like a manager does in baseball, where he comes out and yells at the umpire. Like, what is that really doing? Like. I don't know, but players, you go play, you focus, I'll handle this part of the game. And, uh, you know, I think that's sort of what happens at the head coach position. Pete told an interesting story uh, on Monday about the refs and about his decision not to go for it on fourth down. It was early in the game, right? I think it was even their first possession of the game. And it looked like they had a first down. Then the refs kind of came in late, turned it around and said, no, you were actually short. I think they actually got it right. But Pete makes a pretty good point that the mechanics of it aren't really the way they're supposed to be. Pete gets a lot of criticism for not going for it on fourth down very often, but I'll play you just a little bit. This is Pete sort of explaining what happened there. Let's talk about the fourth down play. Okay, what happened is, signal, first down, okay? We go back to the huddle, we're ready to go. They got a guy hurt, okay? So uh, Gary's laying on the the ground there for a while. He gets up and goes. We call the the play. We go to the line of scrimmage, and then they walk in and they stop the play and decide, wait a minute, we're going to go take a look at this play. Or we've already made a decision that he didn't make it. Okay, so so as they're explaining that, which that's I've never seen that happen before. Okay, like that, and and so that as they are explaining yeah. it to me, they already started the shot clock. Okay, so I don't even know how what the distance is on the play until I'm, I'm looking around. I, I it's fourth down. Oh heck, we got to kick the football and kick him deep. I thought that was pretty interesting. He didn't even really have the opportunity to think about what he wanted to do there. Yeah. No, and, and listen, that that's a legitimate gripe, and that's uh, something that the mechanics of the you know the officials uh, should look at and talk about. But but again, like I, I kind of come back to like if I am only allowed five bullet points on why mm-hmm. we lost the game, that's not it. 
you know, that's not one of them. Not for me. A fourth down in the first quarter that you had to punt, and your punter did great. Your punter had an awesome day, and your defense had an awesome day. Like, that that wasn't a, you know, like on my grade sheets when Jim Zorn would grade me, you know, you get plus, minus, you know, check plus, check minus, check. And then there's this thing he would put CE, critical error, like critical error. And it, I just knew if I ever had, like, one or two, maybe probably two critical errors on that sheet, we're not winning the game. Is that all it takes from the quarterback? You know, kind of depends on your team. Depends, like, if your defense is a defense that can cover up for your mistakes. Like, there's a coach I had that would say, hey, sometimes you or we have to be amazing marinara sauce over yesterday's pasta. You know, like, that can kind of happen. Like, your yesterday's pasta sometime, your defense, wow, you guys were amazing marinara sauce. It all worked. Uh, And sometimes it's the quarterback. Everyone else is pretty mediocre. And then we're the amazing marinara sauce. Um so it kind of depends, but the, I just, uh, again, focusing on us in our, you know, quarterback room, if we eliminate the critical errors, um, you know, we got a chance to win and we probably will win. Seemed like the defense eliminated a lot of the critical errors that we were talking about earlier in the year. I mean, they played a much better game and, and really it's been the last few that they've looked better. They've, they've been outstanding. They've been, you know, limiting big plays, which is a huge thing. Third down was a huge issue. I think going back to the Minnesota game right around that time. But third down is better. And, you know, red zone defense, at least against the Packers, was much better. Um, that was good. And then sometimes you just got to be opportunistic. Like, you know, Jamal Adams had the, the interception where, you know, he went up for it. It was kind of a high, high point the ball type of, uh, high type of play. And the irony is, is like, it's a great play by him. It's a red zone turnover on Aaron Rodgers. It's like super great. The irony is, is that Aaron moved him early in that play. And, uh, the tight end, 81, uh, from Cincinnati, University of Cincinnati, uh, DeGuerra, I think his name is, he's wide open because of Jamal, Jamal Adams. Like, he's wide open for like a, the easiest touchdown he's ever had in his life. And Aaron Rodgers sees it late, gets over there late, and then, you know, just throws a, uh, literally a recess jump ball, like flyers up 500, like whatever, whoever wants it can have it. And Jamal goes up at the moment of truth, strong hands, has a great play. But the irony is, like, if I'm grading him, I'm like, uh, minus, where are you going? You just left this tight end wide open. And then the, at the end of the re- end result of the play is like, game-winning play like this is an amazing play great play but it's uh it's it, it can be feast or famine on defense because you don't you don't necessarily get to create your opportunities all the time but when they come you can either make them or not make them 500 was my favorite playground game as a kid it seriously was but there's a the hole in that game is that when you win you have to go throw it's really like being you lose you lose out on doing the best part of the game <laughs> yeah but you get to pick you get to pick like is it 100 <laughs> 300 500, but know, i would just call yeah. 500 every time because all i wanted to do is get back into the scrum and try to catch the ball oh, i don't want to throw those, it you're, you're one of those guys well i wasn't yeah. a quarterback so i guess you probably liked throwing uh, you know, it, like before you got mossed, it was the game 500. Like that was it, you know? <laughs> so. That's so true. That was so yeah. fun as a kid. Um, uh, I'll swear on this defense, though, and because this is the key. Like if Pete Carroll wants his team to be a Pete Carroll team, they've got to play Pete Carroll defense. Um, what have you seen outside of the Jamal Adams stuff, which I know we've talked a lot about? Are they getting it to the quarterback better? Are the cornerbacks making the kind of adjustments and strides that they need to? Are they communicating better? 
Uh, and then I want to talk about Bobby a little bit too, but but start with some of those questions. First. Yeah, so well, I would say this: like a pass rush isn't where I think Pete would like it to be. Like there, there's a thing called an interception reel. Uh, you watch all the interceptions from across the NFL, okay? And I do that every week. There's like two, between 20 and 28 interceptions across the NFL. Almost probably more than half of them are the result of pressure, quarterback pressure, like a rush, a four-man rush usually, sometimes a blitzer. It's not so much because of great DB play. It's because of a good pass rush. Not necessarily getting sacks, but just affecting the thrower. That's that's number one. And so like, I don't think that Seattle has had that quite yet. Now, But I will say this, having played in Lambeau many times, it's really, really hard to get that same type of pass rush on that slow track. It's a very kind of like soft field, muddy field. It's not like playing, you know, on field turf in a dome. So, like, I'm not throwing any blame, you know, from this past week on that. I would say this, those young DBs, and I don't know all their names, uh, 22, 2, I think it's Trey Brown, DJ. Yeah. Like, these guys are, they're, they're aggressive. Yeah. They're, 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 they're challenging. They're, they're like, hey, let's go. We're, and they're, I like how they're playing. I mean, I, I like how they're playing. I think the biggest difference in this game that I noticed at the linebacker position was, uh, Jordan Brooks, mm-hmm. 56. Uh, I really feel like early in the year, there's, I don't know, I don't want to say this, like, but I'll just say it. Like, K.J. Wright, the savvy of him in some zone coverage situations or some veteran situations, like, there's a there's some growing pains that you have going with a younger player. And, and I think some veteran quarterbacks took advantage of that. I thought he came on and had, like, some outstanding plays in this past game. And, and that's sometimes what happens when you have a younger player, you go – Maybe you go younger, you go cheaper. You sort of have to weather the storm, and yeah. hopefully you're winning games as these players are developing. Well, he's a first-round pick. I mean, they want to get him out there and going at some but point. Be, I mean, he's got that yeah, kind of that, talent. That, it's that kind of mindset right. that gets you loses you games. Because now we're not putting our best 11 that we could possibly find in the world to be out there. Right. We're putting a putting a guy that has potential that could someday maximize, someday live up to his potential. But if you never give him the rounder. time, will he ever have the opportunity to do it, right? So you might have to take a step back to take two, sto- two steps forward. For sure. But, like, again, mm. the NFL is this. We need to go 1-0 and every week. That's the number one goal. Like someone's development is secondary to going one and zero every week, and then you go look go look back at a season and you you lose some really close games. Like Tennessee's the game that sticks out to me, yep. where they're just moving us with our eyes left and right. It's like ah, like this game should have been won. Um, what do you think, think of think Bobby? I, I get I get Brock in my I like ear I like Brock just I, keeps I like crushing Bobby. Bobby. I like Bobby. I uh, listen. I uh, Bobby to me is a lot like a quarterback. You're going to get a lot of credit. You're going to get a lot, lot of blame, but you are so dependent on what the people around you do because you are good at doing your job. You're not trying to do anybody else's job. You're doing your job. And so it, it really is. It's such teamwork. It's it's such teamwork. So, um, you know, I, I think that comes with the position when you're a well-known player and you're a highly paid player. But uh, I'm a fan. Cool. All right, talking about Hasselbeck as we do here uh, every Wednesday from 9 till 10 o'clock. If you miss any of this, you're just jumping in now and you want to go back and hear what Matt said, uh, you can find that online, whether it's 710sports.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We put up every minute of every show so you can go back and make sure you listen to it. 
Uh, we also have our Seahawks code word right now. So if you uh, go over to 710sports.com slash win, enter the code word division by the end of the show. You'll be entered to win a couple tickets to see the Hawks and Cardinals on Sunday. Uh, that code word expires at 10. So make sure you do it here in the next half hour or so. Uh, I got to play you some sound from Aaron Rodgers. It's not controversial, I promise. But I do want your reaction to it because it, it speaks to some of the changes maybe the Seahawks are making on defense. We'll do that with Matt Hasselbeck next. Mike Salk Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. The Matt Hasselbeck Show, presented by Infinity of Bellevue and Linwood. Every Wednesday from 9 to 10. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On 710 ESPN Seattle. All right, continuing on with Matt Hasselbeck here. we got a great ranked coming up in 15 minutes with Matt. It'll bring up some fun plays and fun memories. So make sure you stick around. We do this uh, every every Wednesday with Matt in our 9 o'clock hour here. But... Uh, I wanted to play this sound from Aaron Rodgers. So uh, he was back on with uh, Pat McAfee. Is apparently it's like a daily thing where he just shows up there and says whatever's it's a, on his it's mind. It's a weekly thing. It's not daily. It's it, weekly. It Come feels on. Daily. Don't be don't be an embellisher. <laughs> feels I'm a host a radio show for God's sake. It's quite literally my job is to embellish. But he was on. Uh, this is not uh, political or vaccine related. He was asked about some of the challenges the Seahawks defense gave him, and I, I thought this is kind of interesting. Playing against Legion of Boom, it was basically one coverage for the most part. No, they mixed in some man here and there and occasionally a little bit of two high, but it was it was mostly the one high uh, three buzz coverage that they played and they just played it so well. I mean, they were so incredibly disciplined in their drops and their responsibilities. It was hard to do anything against them. This defense played some jam front, which was, which was uh, you know, the, the old Seattle defense that didn't play a lot of jam front. They played a lot of two shell behind it basically saying we're going to stop you with the jam front uh, from running the football and we're going to play some two show on the back end. I thought it was, you know, you know, well executed by, by Ken and his defense. I thought they played well. We were just a little bit off. Can you walk me through that uh, jam front with a two shell behind them? Yeah, so jam front is essentially like the D-line, you know, like it's kind of the old um, Buddy Ryan, Chicago Bears. We're going to have someone over your center and someone over each guard. Just kind of messes with your rules a little bit. Um not a deal breaker, but like you, most plays in your playbook aren't going to necessarily work because they're not designed for that. So you usually have to go to like something that is designed for that. But most people play that with a one shell. Okay. So like, or, or like one deep safety, one guy in the middle of the hashes. Uh, as a change up, sometimes people will play with a two shell, meaning two safeties deep. No, neither one of those guys is going to be in between the hashes. So, like, one guy's got half of the field and the other guy's got the other half of the field. But they can kind of creep down in the support role if they want. So, kind of, like, a good way to say it is, like, they're responsible for, like, one and a half things. Mm -hmm. So, like, no one's ever really on an island, I, I would say. You know, that's a good way to eliminate explosive plays on defense. It's so funny. Not, when you, when you ex people in islands. When you explain that, I think, like, okay, that sounds perfect. Why wouldn't you use it all the time? Why isn't it the norm? Well, it's a nice change-up. Right. You know what I mean? So you're going up against Aaron Rodgers. Like, you saw some, I thought, some great disguises by the Seattle defense. I was really impressed with the Seattle defense for the most part without some of, like, maybe taking away some of the discipline things, like, after the snap. But I was really, really impressed with, like, some of the blitzes that they had, um, just timing it up, the disguises. Now, the irony is Aaron Rodgers handled it. Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, like, they had an answer for every little nuance uh, it was like almost like hot routes or blitz pickups or just getting the ball out quick with blockers, but it doesn't kill you. 
like that stuff doesn't necessarily kill you like a like a big play or an mm-hmm. explosive would. And like Devontae Adams, what do you have like 11 targets in the game? That's normal. Like that's that's him. Did he have seven catches? Yeah. But like he was under 100 yards. There weren't these huge highlight reel type plays. And so I think just a game plan like that is a great change up to go up against a Hall of Fame type quarterback to keep him off balance and really everything he said in that in that little bit was this was a good plan, you know, like I wasn't, I wasn't really ready for that. He had two weeks to essentially prepare for it. He's sitting at his home on his couch, like getting ready for this game and everything that he had prepared for was, sounds like it was a little bit different. Yeah. It surprised him. We, we hear so much. It seems like these days about the, the two deep zones, um, whether it's talking about how to handle the chiefs offense and we hear about how it affects the Seahawks offense. I'm sure there's other examples of it as well. Um, take me inside that a little bit and, and, and sort of what that back and forth cat and mouse adjustment game looks like there. So here's what it is. I, here's the best way I could say it. I'm stealing this from Bill Belichick. Okay. Um, going up against a great quarterback. So let's just, let's just say like it's a Patrick Mahomes or someone like that. If you give him a good look to run the ball, meaning like, Hey, we're just going to be, we're going to have seven people in coverage and they're kind of going to kind of like just say, Hey, no big plays for every time you do that. Every time they hand off the ball, it's a time that Patrick Mahomes is not throwing the ball. Okay. And it's like, that's sort of the mindset. But then the other mindset is we know how these quarterbacks are. They're arrogant. They're full of themselves. These, these, like, uh, these exciting offensive coordinators, they're arrogant. They're full of themselves. They will get bored and they will take a chance. Like, let's just not let them go over our heads. Let's just stay back, make them go the long, hard way down the field. Throw a quick out route, throw another out route, throw a short route, throw a short route. Like, they won't do it. Like they, they're too confident in their own ability, their own arm. Like they won't go the slow way down the field and they will make a mistake. And that's what you've seen out of Patrick Mahomes so far this year. He's unbelievable at big plays or, you know, attacking a blitz coverage or something like that. But if you make him sort of go the long, hard way and just sort of throw it underneath and throw it underneath, he won't do it. It's almost like he, he can't do it. Like he needs to learn to do it. But, uh, and so I think that's why the, the, the too deep shell is becoming like, if you run the analytics on it, it seems to be effective. But within that too deep shell, there's a you know a host of coverages you can play out of a two deep shell. It's not like it's just one coverage, but the mindset is keep them in front of us and make them go the long hard way. Is that different from the Tampa two? No, it's so the Tampa two would fall under that umbrella. It's, it's so one it, of the the variations of it. Yeah, and so I, I would summarize it this way: you're rushing typically you're rushing four people mm-hmm. and you have seven in coverage. Okay, and that and that's really you know how you would summarize it, but um, but the other thing, and again, the Bill Belichick thing, I'm not sure if I said it clearly, but yeah, I... but but when you when you when you give them a light box, you're basically saying like you won't just run it down, you won't call 13 runs in a row, like you won't. You know, and in in Teddy Bruschi said it to me when he was playing against Peyton Manning, and he was audibling at the line of scrimmage every single play, and you knew what he was doing. He was just counting the number. You can see it on the Manning cast. Hey, Eli, what are we doing here? Oh, you're counting the number of people in the box. Is it too high or is it one high? If it's too high, we're going to run it. If it's one high, we're going to throw it. Like, they were basically saying, hey, you're a great quarterback, but we don't think you'll run it 15 times in a row. Like, we just don't. Mm. And at some point, you're gonna get behind the sticks, and then we're off the field. And and that that's sort of they're sort of using what's great about some of these quarterbacks. They're using it against them. 
so much parody this year, man. It's so interesting watching these NFL games. Like every week, it feels like once you you think you've got a beat on who's good, they tumble in in a way that is incredibly surprising. And, and I know we get that every year. It does seem more pronounced this season. It was it was really amazing this past week because I think there were maybe eight teams that were under five hundred that beat playoff teams. Crazy. Teams that were in the first you know one or two in their division and and like like you would never even imagine that this like would. Heineke and the Washington football team really just put a beat down on Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Of course not. Well, guess what? They did. Like it's kind of it's sort it's sort of shocking, but um, that's the NFL. Yeah, it's been pretty crazy. I got a text here from somebody who says uh, doesn't know what five hundred is. Says it's not a West Coast thing. Justin, did you play five hundred as a kid? I was going to ask you too, but I didn't want to be oh, that really? guy. Five hundred is just like uh, you got one. I guy think some a- people call it flyers up. Okay, uh, the, but I, there might be other names for it. But you can explain. The you got like a, a scrum of people on on one side, and on the other side is one person with a football or really any kind of a ball, and they yell out a a number. Let's say two hundred points. You it's throw, like a Hail Mary. Yeah. It's a Hail Mary game. You throw it up and everybody tries to, you know, there's no pass interference. You can try to kill each other on the ground. And whoever can is the tallest kid in your school just gets to jump up and catch the ball. Yeah, we had a different name for that. I can't remember what it was, but I know the game now. Yeah, it's 500. And once you had, once somebody had 500 points, they went to go throw, which felt like more of a punishment than, than, a, than a reward because it was much more fun doing the, gotcha. the scrum. So there you go. All right, Matt, we have a, uh, speaking of things like that, we are going to rank... Uh, we're going to rank a specific kind of play. We saw something that did not work from the Seahawks this past week, but they certainly work, and when they do, they're the best. So we'll have you rank them. We'll do it next. Matt Hasselback continuing on here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Got a list? Time to put it in order. Fred Dwarmfor's house. Top five. Top five meals that I have ever had. This is ranked. To be honest, that list was really biased. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. Every morning at 945 on the Mike Salk Show. That top ten list. I'm not buying that. Ranked. That Earl Thomas sound cracks me up every time. That list was kind of biased. All right, Matt Hasselbeck does this every Wednesday. We ask him to rank something. Perhaps as you were watching the Green Bay game this weekend, uh, you saw the Seahawks attempt a flea flicker. I say attempt because it didn't go well. I almost thought it was supposed to be like a flea flicker screen. It was just a total mess of a play, lost a few yards. Uh, Matt, with that in mind, because trick plays are fun, we thought we would ask you to rank your five best trick plays you were part of in your career. Yeah, that's funny. Well, that was man coverage. It's a good play versus zone coverage. That is a bad luck. Bad, 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 bad execution. Should, probably should have got out of the play. But we didn't run a lot of trick plays when I was in Seattle, and I think it's because Mike Holmgren's very first play in Seattle, John Kitten was the quarterback. He got talked into calling a flea flicker, make a splash, and it was like an eight-yard sack, second and 18. Not <laughs> how you want to start things out. So we had to pay the price for the sins of uh, that 1999 team <laughs> a little bit. So I got to take my first one, my, my number five, to a fake field goal that I ran in when I was with the Green Bay Packers, we're playing Monday Night Football against the Minnesota Vikings, Randy Moss. But what's kind of crazy about this story is, you know, you practice these plays, they never get in. And I knew that this was a touchdown. I Like, I knew it. I'm the holder. Or, you know, Brett Favre's the starting quarterback. So I tell the special teams coach, I'm like, hey, uh, Ray Rhodes is our head coach. I'm like, hey, coach, Ray said he wants to run the fake field goal the first time we get a chance in the second half. He's like, oh, okay, Ray said that? Yeah, yeah, Ray said that. And then I go to Ray, and I go, hey, Ray, uh, Steve, the special teams coach, he said, hey, he would love to run this, the fake field goal the first time we get a chance. And he's like, really? Is it, is it, is it there? You promised me it's going to work? I'm like, yeah, that's what he says. I think it's going to work, too. He's like, 
All right. So I like you know played mom and dad against each other to get this play called, and that's how I that's how I threw my very first touchdown pass in the NFL, and it went perfectly. I screwed up the uh, end zone celebration, but other than that, it was a a great way to get your first touchdown pass on a fake field. Hasselbeck to put it down. A fake. Hasselbeck's a quarterback. He throws. It is caught by Thomason for the touchdown. And that's one of the huge benefits of having a holder as your backup quarterback, a guy who knows... Yeah, you're right. That touchdown celebration did not go very well. What was it? What did you do? (laughs) I jumped up to jump on the pile. The pile moved. I fell right on my face. I'm impressed you guys found that because we didn't talk about this beforehand. That was was, crack squad here. Yeah, so Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth were making fun of me. Yeah, that was was tough. And that was Jeff Thompson, Oregon Duck. Um, All right, number four, another fake field goal, also on Monday Night Football the next year. Um, maybe two years later, I forget the year. We're down at Tampa, and you know when you run a fake field goal, you got one guy in a deep corner, and then you got another guy like shallow in the flat. Well, I come out of my fake, and I've got this offensive lineman, Mike Wall, who ended up being a Seahawk later on. I throw him the ball, I lob it up to him. It's right there. Well, the guy shallow was this guy tight end Bubba Franks mm. from the University of Miami, and he's like, "Oh, I can get to that ball." He runs and literally intercepts this ball from Mike Wall. I wasn't even. Th- throwing it to him. I'm throwing this ball to Mike Wall, the offensive lineman, and Bubba Franks comes out and basically intercepts it. And luckily, you know, the offensive lineman had, like, the offensive lineman mentality. Like, I'm just here not to screw it up. So he let him have it. But it very easily could have been, like, two guys colliding, and he scores the touchdown. But again, so my second touchdown in the NFL wasn't even thrown into that guy. And, uh, you know, unbelievable. Most really unbelievable. teams don't have their quarterbacks in there, their backup quarterbacks in there anymore for the holder. They're all going with the punter. Ever since Tony Roma, right? I think that the real switch has happened there, and then also it gives the punter something to do at practice when he's not punting. <laughs> Still, you know, like work it, on it seems like you're missing an opportunity for these fake. You know, the Tom Tupas of the world don't exist anymore. Guys who are punters slash you know second or third string quarterbacks. But you also see what happens, like if your quarterback, you know, misses some, like Dak right. Prescott hurts his calf, or you know, like whoever the court, you know, uh, Daniel Jones has a concussion. Where you're gonna throw you know, the like guy the, in there. Yeah, so they like the consistency yeah. of long snapper, holder, kicker. All right, number three. Best right, number trick three. plays of your career. I don't know if this really totally counts as a trick play, but this is an NFC Championship game, Seneca Wallace on a slant and go on our former teammate, Ken Lucas. So when Ken Lucas was with the Seahawks, I see, he said, hey, man, teach me something. Like, you know, can I spend some time with you? He's a DB. I said, sure, let me teach you something. I showed him something in our offense where if we ever got into a three-by-one bunch set and we had a special wide receiver that wasn't always over there by himself, all we would ever do is run a slant or a go route. So, like, all you had to do is know those two routes and you could take advantage of it. So, me remembering that he and I had had this conversation conversation and seen him make plays, we kind of talked it to the coaches. They decided to put Seneca Wallace in that spot, same exact formation, and he starts on the slant because we are the ones who taught him this. And then it was a slant and go, and he catches it on <laughs> Ken Lucas, who's a Pro Bowl corner at the time. And Seneca's not even a wide receiver, but we sort of took our own uh, knowledge of our old teammate and put it into – Really, the NFC Championship game, which was it was was just like a huge awesome. play for us. So that was super great. Did you talk to him worked. afterwards? No, he. I mean, he immediately got up to, to Seneca Wallace. He was like, "I knew it. I like, I should have known it. It was too good to be true." <laughs> That's just you know, uh, it was an awesome feeling. That's funny. All right, number two. 
Another trick play to, to Seneca Wallace. This was kind of in the Jim Mora years, okay? We did this play where it's basically I line up a wide receiver, and Seneca, th- he's a quarterback. He throws me the ball. I look downfield, and then I throw the ball back to him, and then he runs it. Well, Seneca's coaching with the Dallas Cowboys last year, and we're talking one night. He's like, yeah, I'm looking for a trick play. You know, coach said I could put a trick play in. I'm like, hey, put this play in. So I say, hey, put this play back in. Teams around the league are running this play again because it kind of got like revitalized because Seneca once ran it under with Greg Knapp and Jim Mora and it was this cool play and it's essentially the quarterback goes so you'll see a lot of plays I think maybe two weeks ago especially where it's like a double pass the quarterback throws it to another guy who's the quarterback who throws it back and uh, I kind of think it's because Seneca Wallace who isn't even coaching in the NFL anymore but uh, he kind of brought this back so that was that was kind of cool to what, see. what is it like when that gets like like written up during the week like who does like the offensive coordinator is like oh, i got a fun idea no so usually it's a coach uh gets assigned special plays trick plays oh, specials cool. like uh uh who's the uh is it keith gilbertson keith gilbertson was a uw coach for a long time mm-hmm. and mike holmgren hired him as like sort of a consultant type thing and he was in charge of our specials so you scour high school football college football Old NFL football, and you come up with fun two-point cool. plays, flea flickers, that kind of stuff. I wonder if uh, I wonder if Tater does that for Pete. Now it seems like something he would be in charge of. That's something he would be excellent at. Yeah, I would bad. Say. All That's right, the number idea. one best trick play you've been involved with. Well, it's the worst, actually. It's the worst <laughs> trick play. So when I at the end of my career, I was with the Indianapolis Colts. We're playing the New England Patriots, and you guys have maybe seen it, like the worst fake punt that's ever been run. Oh yeah, the Colts had like a center and a, and a mm-hmm. quarterback, and then like nothing else. It wasn't supposed to be a play. Okay, we had a, this. the The quarterback was this guy from Montana, Colt Anderson, who's a um, you know real smart player. And the center was supposed to be this guy from Stanford. Well, a couple plays before, we're just trying to catch the Patriots with twelve men on the field and get get a first down. There is no real play. Okay, well, basically what happens is the the guy that we were supposed to have in the game gets hurt right before, and then and we had a. Uh, our punt returner was our backup for it was this guy from Stanford also Griff Whalen very very smart guy so they have the three smartest people they can find on special teams to operate this play well here's something in the NFL there's all this terminology on defense there's terminology on offense and there's terminology on special teams and the three like the army the navy and the you know air force they don't talk to each other so there's one word on offense. I th- we'll say the word was aloha. If you ever say aloha, that means all bets are off. You're snapping the ball the next thing you say. Aloha, aloha. So we're just trying to trick them. Special teams comes up there. This replacement doesn't know because he's normally our punt our punt returner at practice. He doesn't know. He gets up there and he hears aloha, aloha. Set up, and then he snaps the ball. And the guy he snaps the ball to, he's like, what on earth are you doing? So, like, this was a self-inflicted wound. A great idea. Should have worked. You only snap it if they have 12 guys on the field. And, again, like, the Army wasn't talking to the Navy, wasn't talking mm. to the Air Force. And that, that's uh, and now it's just, like, this thing on your resume is right. one of the most embarrassing. This, that play has its own time. Wikipedia page, by yeah. the way. It's called the Colts yeah. Catastrophe, I believe. Yeah, so the word wasn't aloha, but I didn't want to give away all the secrets no, that's not because uh, those people are still coaching. But, how about yeah. how about the Philly running that Philly special in the in the Super Bowl? That was pretty awesome in terms of that's probably ways. listen. I wasn't involved in that, right. but I know Nick Foles well, and I know Doug Peterson well. In the courage yeah. that it takes, because I can't tell you how many times I've I've 
a game has ended. We've had trick plays that we practice, but no one had the courage to call them. The Philly special to me is the greatest trick play of all time, yeah. bar none, because of when it happened, what it was, and now how everyone in high school football, college football, and pro football has continued to copy. The well, play. yeah, the other one that comes close to when Chris Peterson, when he was at Boise State, ran the uh, the Statue of Liberty in the in the bowl game, right? But I guess maybe bowl games don't really matter that much. No, no, that, that listen, if you're talking college football, that that was incredible. That was awesome. Like that, that was a that was an incredible call. Again, the courage to do it is uh, is almost is almost as difficult as the creativity that it takes to come up with it. While you're pl- when you're done playing 500, and then you get a little like two hand touch going on when you're in fifth grade. Statue of Liberty, big play call. I'm yeah. more of a Philly special guy myself, but you know because quarterbacks they like to catch touchdowns. Of course they do. Do you ever yeah. catch a pass in the NFL? It's a good question. I don't think so. All right. He played with Andrew Luck. He could catch ball. I saw him do it at Stanford a few times. Great athlete. Great athlete. All right, we got to go. We got people hanging on. They want to get ready for Jake and Stacy. They're popping in next. Uh, Matt will be back next Wednesday at 9 o'clock. Matt, looking forward to it. Uh, and uh, actually, I'm not going to be here next Wednesday. We're leading up to uh, Thanksgiving, so we got to talk through that and how that's going to work. Uh, we'll stick around for Jake and Stacy. I'll catch you guys tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. See ya.